saying anything. We've just temporarily lost the preacher, so I'll just wait for him to come back. So, can't hear me. How are we doing on that? Yeah, we're doing okay. Everyone hear me now? Yes. Hello. <laughs> Thank you. Well, welcome. We, we've been away on holiday. I guess some of you may have been away over Easter as well. It's um, absolutely wonderful to be back. Uh, it's lovely to see f friends of, of the church with us, with us today. And it's particularly lovely to welcome back uh, Rob Ellis and Sue, his wife, who's visiting as well today. Um, Rob was our minister here years ago um, and uh, recently retired as the principal of Regents College in Oxford. So we are truly delighted uh, to have you with us, Rob, and we're very much looking forward to the message you're going to bring us today. So please do come and take our service for us. Thank you, Leslie. Gosh. Uh, thank you, Leslie. It's lovely to be back. Um, 1987, we left Bletchley um, to move to Bristol. That's, so it'll be 35 years uh, in October, I think, coming up, which doesn't seem possible, does it? I, you, all, you all look exactly the same. I look exactly the same. I, uh, in order to try and look distinguished, I've dyed my hair this fashionable colour and, of course, shaved most of it off. But um, uh, other than that, we all look exactly the same. And it's great to be back. Uh, we had six lovely years here um, as our, with, our, with our young family and many very fond memories of friendships and time together here in this fellowship and in... Uh, this building. You were very patient with me, and uh, we hold all of you in great affection. So it's lovely to be back. Um, back in the building, most things don't seem to have changed that much, though I haven't pushed anything to see if it still stands up independently. Um, uh, though I don't remember any cameras, uh, uh, other than cameras for recording dramas and things like this that were occasionally produced. So, hello to those of you who are on Zoom. Uh, one of the things we've got used to saying over the last year or two. Uh, we hope that you feel part of our service of worship this morning and feel that you are joined in our fellowship as we gather here. So we have a call to worship from Psalm 118. You'll see it's on the screen. I'm going to ask you, please, if you will respond with the words in the yellow print. So let's stand up together. If, if, if you can, please stand with me uh, as we worship together. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. And so we sing our worship in our first song. See what a morning gloriously bright. Thank you. 
Please be seated. Let us pray together. Eternal God, we come to you today celebrating that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus into this world to show and celebrate your love and forgiveness, your welcome of and to everyone. And so now we humble our hearts in praise, asking that as we worship, you will give to us the love that you've shown us in Jesus, the hope that you've embodied in him, the life that you've raised in newness through him at Easter time. As we read the Easter scriptures, we know that the risen Christ meets us at the tomb and turns tears to joy. He comes through locked doors and turns fear to courage. He comes to daily life and work and turns failure to new vision. In his presence with us, he turns despair to hope. And so we bring you praises and we also come with some sorrow. We confess that even as we celebrate Easter, we still fall into doubt and fear. We continue to cling to selfish ways. We doubt your power to make all things new. Forgive our lack of faith. Have mercy on our weakness. Raise us from the death of sin that we might live with Christ in the joy of his resurrection. May we praise you this day and all days to come. Hallelujah. Amen. Now we're going to have our first Bible reading. We're reading from uh, John's Gospel. Um, in chapter 20 and starting at verse 19. Jesus appears to his disciples. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Well, I've already made my first mistake. Uh, sorry about the Lord's Prayer, Mark. Um, of course, in days when you have everything on the slides, is it how complicated will it be if we want to use it later? To that'll, that'll be fine, will it? You'll take it in your stride. That's assuming I don't forget it again, of course. Um, so we just had uh, a reading from John chapter 20 uh, about Jesus behind closed doors coming to the disciples. Got a couple of visual aids here. I'm just fishing out. Hang on a second. I'll put the first one on while I'm doing it. There we go. Uh, these days, I often have to wear a hat when I go outside. Uh, so I just grabbed the one that was lying around in the car. It will do very nicely. So um, Jesus appears to the disciples behind closed doors. And we're going to come back to this passage later, uh, but I want us to think a little bit about sending. Think about some of the things that you send. So we sent quite a few emails in preparation for today. Um, and anybody still use these? You see what it is? It's a book of stamps for sending letters. We still use those, Yes. 
This is my wife's. There's only one left in, in the back of it at the moment. So she's been using them. So, uh, so we, we send letters. Sometimes they're good letters, aren't they? Sometimes they're happy occasions, birthday cards perhaps, bill payments, not so exciting. So we, we send. Uh, think about uh, some of the people we send. So I've got a, a bit of a clue here. Who might we send with this, do you think? We might send somebody off, mightn't we? Footballer. Which footballer would you like to send off? Harry Kane. Not a Spurs fan then. Not a Spurs fan. So footballers who've been naughty should get a red card if they've been very naughty. Rugby players these days seem to get them. I think they have a kind of a prize draw or something and the... The two or three first names out of the hat get a red card. Everybody gets one. But footballers, it's a bit more, uh, a bit less common. We send people off for be doing um, bad things. So that's another type of sending. Uh, now we get to my hat. Can you see what it is from where you're sitting? It's a cricket cap. Okay. So I bought this when I went with uh, my son Gareth uh, on our first visit to Lords a few years ago. I thought, I can't go to Lords and come away without a cap. Well, so this is the cap I bought. Still fits rather nicely. I think, I think these days England now wear other caps. But what, what, kind, what sending do you think might be associated with wearing this cap? Well, that's not my car alarm. Does everybody think the same thing? Um, <laughs> What kind of sending might go with the cap? It's a bit more of a clue. It's, it's, it's getting to the point now my wife is prompting me. For the front. Yes. A signal of support. Yes. So that's very good. So when I wear this in the crowd, I'm sending a signal of support. Yes. Very good. What about when the players are wearing them? I'm, I'm, I'm probably being a bit opaque here, aren't I? But any, any, yeah? Yes? A sign of which side you're on. Thank you, yeah. Um, I'm so glad you two are both here. That's, that's, re that's really helpful. Uh, so, and a sign of which side you're on. And it, when, when a player makes his first appearance for the England cricket team, he gets given the cap before the match starts in a special little ceremony on the outfield. And... In a sense, the cap is a sign that he is being sent, or she, if it's the women's team, being sent to represent their country. So sometimes the cap is a sign of which side we're on. It's also a sign of who has sent us to do what we're doing in playing cricket. And, and if any of you are available for the first test match coming up, you'll, you might well be needed to wear the cap and to represent the country. So... Did you notice in the passage that was read that there's some sending going on? Anybody pick that up? Jesus was sending the disciples. Now, in John's, John's Gospel, John tends, tells to tell all the same stories that the other three tell them, but he often tells them in slightly different ways. And in this passage that we had this morning, we get... John's version of both the Great Commission, sending disciples out to preach the good news, we also get John's version of the Holy Spirit coming. Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them, he gives them his peace. So Jesus is sending the disciples out. He might not be giving them a cap to wear. Uh, he's certainly not giving them a red card but he is sending them out to do something. What was he sending them out to do? This is cheating. You've got the crib sheet on the screen. What was he sending them out to do? Yeah. To spread the Holy Spirit, yes. And, 
And something in particular, right at the very end of this passage we've got on the... He was sending them out with a message of forgiveness. You were just about to say that, I'm sorry. Sending them out with a message of forgiveness. And that's still what Jesus sends his people out to do. Sends us out with a message of forgiveness. We're going to sing a song now about being sent out. groups for the young people. They're going to go to them now. The offering is being brought forward first, though. Gracious God, we give you our praise. We give you these gifts. We ask that you will take these gifts, take us, and use them for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. As young people go off to their groups, let's bless them and one another by saying the grace together. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Amen. have our second reading from the Acts of the Apostles. Our reading this morning is going to read at verse 27. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honoured by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Judas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. 
After him, Judas, the Galilean, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Thank you, Brenda. Let's pray together. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we've heard one of the Easter stories from John's Gospel, and then this reading from Acts. I want us to think particularly about these few verses from John chapter 20. Each Gospel has got variations on the Easter stories, but John seemed particularly distinctive. And in this little snippet of a story that we had, we see the risen Jesus meeting his disciples, not out in public, but behind locked doors, where we're told they gathered for fear of the authorities. So far, John has told us of Mary finding the tomb open, of Peter and John running to it to confirm that this is the case, of Peter being befuddled, John believing but the writer adds that they didn't really get it. <laughs> and why should they get it, really? All the Gospels share this general sense of disbelief and confusion. And here in John, we have them locked away, frightened and confused. So we've lived through a most extraordinary couple of years, haven't we? Uh, we may, we hope, be beginning to emerge from the pandemic. We might be, as the saying goes, beginning to learn to live with COVID. But like the early church, we've spent a good deal of time sheltering and being afraid in the last two years. It is just over two years since the government introduced that first lockdown, which led to most places of work and worship closing. Since then, we've been through more lockdowns. I did try and count them, but I gave up. All I was remembering was that lockdowns were the times when you weren't allowed to have any parties. Uh, and then there were other periods of severe restrictions. We no longer think it's odd to go into a shop or any other kind of building and have a sanitizer on a stand just inside the door. We no longer think it's at all odd to go into any place and see some people wearing face masks, as some are today. We can't, can you imagine how strange we would have thought it in January 2020 if somebody said this would be the world that we would be living in now? 
many still feel the need to shield. We've learned a whole new vocabulary, haven't we, in two years. We've all become amateur epidemiologists, and we have the lingo to prove it. Many still feel nervous about venturing out or being in close social contact. Like the first disciples in our story, they, we, have been and still are, if not always afraid, then certainly a bit anxious. And for just about everybody, future plans have a kind of provisionality about them still. Well, we'll do such and such as long as, kind of often goes unsaid now, somebody tests positive or something. And apparently, we, I speak in the broader sense here, developed all kinds of creative strategies for dealing with lockdown anxiety. Some people took up gardening or exercise. Lots of dogs received far more walks than ever they had done previously. Jigsaws, perhaps. Zoom family quizzes. They paled quite early on for us, but we did them for a while. Like many other people, I started baking sourdough bread. And we gained a new sense of gratitude for all kinds of things and people that we'd long taken for granted. Do you remember how we stood out in the street and clapped for key workers? I think that the valuing of things and people previously taken for granted might be one of the really positive, lingering legacies of the pandemic. There have been some positives, but also lots of losses. The real loss of sense of connection, of life feeling as if it's on hold, of being afraid of what the future might bring. Um, I'm on a um, YouGov mailing list, and every now and again I get sent a survey to be filled in. And still, every time I'm asked whether I am afraid of getting COVID, I feel like saying, well, I wasn't, but now you mention it. In the pandemic, we have become more agitated generally. Apparently, we've not been sleeping so well, dreaming vivid dreams. I heard a psychologist explain that this is because when we sleep, our dreams help us to process our emotions. And as with the disciples, there's been a sense of loss, the loss of our freedoms to do this or that, to see those we love and care about, just to live in the usual way. The loss, perhaps, of plans we have had to shelve or postpone. Perhaps not knowing whether these things now will ever happen. Will we ever make that trip? Will we ever get to see such and such? Churches have had to lose parts of their programs. (laughs) Occasionally that could be quite a good thing, but not always. We've also lost out on some special events programs of outreach and mission or simple opportunities to demonstrate care and concern. And then, of course, just as we felt we were emerging from the pandemic, from COVID COVID lockdowns, the world goes to war again. Once again, we begin to feel unsafe We can't hear the rumble of the guns from where we sit, but it still feels close. In an age when leaders rattle sabres with nuclear warheads attached, it feels closer still. And that's how we feel. Imagine what it must be like to be in Kiev or the Donbar today. I can't imagine, really. Heaven and the poor souls living only know through the destruction of their homes, families, and hopes. But today is Easter Day in the Ukraine. Apparently, refugee families are travelling back into the country from Poland and other neighbouring states to be with their loved ones for this weekend to celebrate the resurrection together as the bombs still come in. Hope in the midst of despair, faith, destruction and death. 
So, the disciples knew about fear and loss. They huddled together in their own lockdown. But they found good news because what they discovered was that even when they were locked away, Jesus appeared to them. They'd heard stories from Mary, from Peter and John, about an empty tomb, about a sighting of, was it Jesus, was it a gardener? The story seemed pretty half-baked, and frankly, you know, Thomas, well, he was probably speaking for all the others who couldn't be brave enough to say it. Come off it. They weren't being taken in by any Easter story. They were huddled behind closed doors, afraid of what the authorities might do next to stamp down on the rumours of new life. And into this comes Jesus. He appears to them. He gives them his peace. And he sends them out. The time for the huddling together, he says, is over. As the Father sent me, so I send you. And I think many churches have known something of the good news of this Easter story too, through our lockdowns. We see in the story that the risen Jesus come to join the disciples behind locked doors and even behind closed doors with the disciples cowering, the risen Jesus comes. Locked doors, locked downs do not keep Jesus away. And the pandemic has been an experience of this for many. Churches have had to find new ways of doing things, new ways of being together, like Zoom, connecting by gathering in to one place on Sundays, often replaced by a virtual gathering, virtual connections. And as we've done this, the risen Jesus has been with us too. He comes through the locked doors of our lockdowns. Some churches reported blessings amid the trials, new inquiries from those outside the Christian community, or maybe a refreshment of their fellowship's prayer life, often through social media being used in new ways. I think that in our church, that was true for a time at least. As a city centre church that we belong to in the middle of Oxford, the congregation is spread through the city, but also even the county. And so time away, time together away from Sunday has always been quite challenging for that community. But Zoom brought us new possibilities. We suddenly found that we could be together in new ways. We found the risen Jesus to be present with us when we gathered virtually. The locked doors could not keep him out. And when Jesus comes to the disciples through the locked doors, his first words are words of peace. Peace for the agitated and anxious. They've had their world turned upside down in the last few days. They had all these hopes. Great things would happen. You know, just think back to the week and that Palm Sunday thing. And now everything plunged into bitter mourning for a lost friend, for all the possibilities that they imagined in the future which now seem to be over. Suddenly everything they thought they knew about life and death was called into question, and frankly it wasn't really helped by these cock and bull stories they were getting now on the Sunday. And so they were scared, scared of what these new stories might mean, and amid all their fears and their losses, Jesus speaks peace. The words echoing his words at the beginning of chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And so he shows them his ID, his hands and his feet. The scars that say, yes, it's really me. He offers reassurance and comfort. Through all the fear and loss, he offers 
peace, a peace that will sustain. So as Christians in the Ukraine celebrate Easter today, amid bombs and bullets, with fear and loss, how we might yearn that they would hear such a word of peace. Even as we struggle to understand exactly what that might mean for them to hear a word of peace from the risen Jesus. You'll know that the biblical idea of peace comes from the Hebrew word shalom. And it means not just peace and quiet, it means not just the car alarm stopping or all the background noise quietening down. It means something much more positive. Not just the absence of squabbling or even bombs and bullets. It's a peace which includes justice, social cohesion, a community life that's rich. And one of the gifts of the lockdown, perhaps gift of Jesus' peace, has been a sense of togetherness at times. But we've also had our sense of justice, I think, sharpened in different ways. Are these rules that apply to everyone? Are we really in it together? Or perhaps we can think about the way in which some sections of our community seem to be particularly badly affected by COVID, especially at first. Noticeably, those in ethnic minority communities. Cast back, it seems like yesterday, but it seems like an age ago, that in the early summer of 2020, following the murder of George Floyd in the US, that our own sense of the injustices experienced by many members of our own communities was sharpened. In the Ukraine, we pray not just for a ceasefire, but for justice, for a rich community to emerge, for the rebuildings of homes and schools and trust. Stirring up of events in the last couple of years may not have seemed like peace, but Shalom is about the search for justice. Maybe we'll come out of the pandemic more just. Maybe churches will have learned something about inclusion and accessibility through hearing those who say actually that they found it much easier to come to church on Zoom than they ever found it to get into the building with all its particular physical challenges. So the disciples are huddled together behind locked doors. Jesus speaks peace, and then his next words are words of sending. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. The first disciples were not to remain in lockdown, but to venture out bearing the good news of Jesus, crucified and risen. So let's be clear about This is not Jesus saying to them, look, you've just got to get on with it and learn to live with it. Jesus is not giving public health advice here. But it is, I think, a word cautioning against us getting to enjoy our own cosy company too much and perhaps settling for some of the conveniences of the lockdown world. We don't know when everything will be really back to normal again for all the things that you'd like to do as a church community. But whenever that is, the risen Jesus who's been with us in lockdown will be with us again. It is, of course, a terrible caricature, but sometimes, if we're honest in church life, it can feel as if we are mostly in lockdown. Even when we're able to meet in our buildings, we're tempted to hide in them, rather like the disciples in this story. When we gather on the inside and we kind of circle the wagons and we keep ourselves safe, it's very easy to be quite harsh on those people who are on the outside. That's why it's particularly important that we see that when Jesus sends them out, he sends them out with a message of forgiveness, of welcome, of acceptance. What might this possibly mean in the Ukraine? Can it possibly lead in time to the healing of relationships between people? We can only hope that somehow in resurrection power it might be so. And for us, 
Well, we'll have to take some first tentative steps as we come out of lockdown. And there's something about that story from Acts that rings a bell here. The disciples preach. The authorities get very exercised about this. They try to shut them down, to shut them up. And the very sensible Gamaliel says, well, why don't you just leave it? See what happens. If it's of God, it'll be no good you opposing it anyway. If it's not of God, then it'll just peter out. I quite like this trying it out attitude from Gamaliel. And of course, it's not quite what he had in mind to think of the disciples leaving lockdown, but maybe as churches sometimes that's what we have to do. We have to try things out. We have to see whether they're of God or not. We have to take risks sometimes. Jesus says, I give you peace. I send you out. He says, I give you the Holy Spirit. And it's in going out with words of forgiveness that we receive the Spirit. In speaking words of welcome and kindness to our neighbours and our world, we'll know the presence of the risen Jesus. We'll know his peace that sets troubled hearts at rest and also stirs our hearts for justice. And we'll break out of our confinement and mission to love and care for God's world. So we're good at looking back in churches. It's more difficult now, it seems, than ever to look forwards. But you're going to have to try and look forward as a church, aren't you, this year. That's going to bring its challenges. You'll have some big decisions to make. I pray that as you do that, you will know the risen Jesus' peace. You'll be empowered by God's Spirit. And that you'll break out of lockdown to be his faithful people still. We're going to sing Cornerstone.
We're going now to bring our prayers for ourselves and for God's world, at the conclusion of which we will join together in the Lord's Prayer. Let us pray. It's the Sunday after Easter, sometimes called Low Sunday. We've moved on from the celebration of Easter Day, our Lord fresh from the tomb. All creation sang a new song. But life goes on. Back to school, back to work, back to the news. A cold snap and an eastern wind. The messenger at the tomb says, Christians, think again. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Lord, so often we must be looking in the wrong places. Open our eyes to see you, alive and welcoming, in the heart of our worship, in the word of a neighbour, in the lift of song. Help us to stand on tiptoe as we listen, sing and pray, knowing that at any moment we might be touched by your hand and raised up from our dull vision. Christians, think again. Why do you seek the living among the dead? And so, in resurrection, light and life, we pray for the people of Ukraine, celebrating Easter today. We pray for those who mourn their dead, who fear for the future. We pray for those who feel foreign troops closing in. We pray for families parted. We pray for those who try to maintain law and order, deliver health care. We pray for the government. And we pray for the people of Russia. We pray for our own government and governments around the world. We pray for people around the world today who don't know where their next meal will come from. Who live under unjust regimes 
who live in fear of the local mobsters or thugs. We pray for those who live today in heartache, eaten up with worry for those they love, or perhaps for themselves. Teach us hope, give us joy. Come, we pray, into our locked-in selves and bring peace and joy. Christians, think again. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Loving God, we pray for our politicians, national and local. We know that it is easy to fall into cynicism. Sometimes we seem to expect so little of our leaders that it's not surprising when they live up to our expectations. Help us instead to seek the living among the living, living hope among living political systems. Teach us to be grateful again for the strengths in our community, for the things that make our town and city, our country, good places to live. Make us prayerful and supportive of all those whose work enables our peace day by day. Christians, think again. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Living Lord, we ask that today you will be our living Lord in our living hope. In a moment of quiet, we each bring to you now our own particular concerns for people, for places, perhaps for this church, for our neighbors. In the silence, we bring our prayers to you. Lord, help us always to be fired by Easter hope. Help us to seek and to celebrate your living presence, not among the tombs, but in the bustling heart of life. Help us to know that we will see you in our everyday Galilees. For you are risen and you are among us. Thanks be to God. And we gather up all our prayers in the prayer that Jesus gave us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses and forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our final song pictures Jesus waiting for us out there.
beyond the locked doors. Jesus Christ is waiting. Now the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with us and remain with us now and always. Amen.